Again, I want to welcome all of us to church tonight. It's a great privilege to have us here and to be part of this great house of God. The Bible says we've gathered together unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the company of the innumerable angels of God, the church of the firstborn, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the Bible says of the blood of Jesus or the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. We're in the general assembly tonight where decrees are made, and we have come to do exactly what the scripture says tonight. This is the general assembly. We're here tonight to make certain decrees before we leave tonight. I believe that God is faithful. That's why we had to sing that song. I know it's not a conventional church uh, hymn, but very inspirational song. God will make a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And I know that many times there are times in our life when there seems to be no way. But God will make a way anyway. Tonight I want us to just welcome each other in one minute like we did before. Let's just, you know, get out of our seat and just welcome somebody to church tonight and just bless God for their lives and just, just give him honor to the Lord tonight. Let's just give honor to the Lord tonight. Let's just give honor to the Lord tonight. especially again to tonight's church. I want to welcome my brother, doctor. We want to thank the Lord for your letter. Finally, you're here, and uh, we enjoy the fellowship of your family since you are now here, and uh, I want to say thank you to the entire family uh, officially tonight for all your contributions to uh, the beginning of this work. Uh, we're grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness. We in no way take that for granted. Uh, all your contributions are deeply appreciated, and we understand your commitment to the Lord, not necessarily to us as individuals. And I, like I usually mention here, that when we get to heaven, when we see him face to face, that's when we're going to be duly rewarded on whatever the Lord we have made, sacrifices that we have made to the Lord. If men will reward us, they will reward us too short for what we have contributed. That's why if we're waiting for a man to reward you, you're making a mistake. However good the reward of a man is, it cannot be compared in value with the reward that we will receive when we see him face to face. That's why every time Paul the Apostle taught, he kept the people in remembrance that we shall see him. He says, they are laid for me a crown of righteousness. Not for me alone, but for those that will also come after me. There is a crown. So God does not discountenance our involvement. Man may, but God will not. You know why? 
is a God who sees in the secrets. And the Bible says he rewards openly. That's who he is. He's not man. So tonight, I want us to pay attention. I know I have short time to share with us tonight. And I believe the Holy Spirit has placed the word in my spirit for us tonight. And not just for one person, but for all of us together. Because we're in this together. And you know the good side of it? I, I've read this over and over again in the newspapers. And I'm here to say tonight, we're in need together, but we're in need to win it. <laughs> I read that every time. People say we're in need to do what? To win it. Hallelujah. We're not just in need to fail. We need to win. Let's pray together. Father, you're the author of life. You're the giver of good gifts. You have made it possible. Taking the hindrances out of our ways. Opening the doors which no man could open for us. Providing access to your eternal treasure. What can be compared with the grace of God that took us out of the dunghill and made us princes? Not just princes, but princes of your own people. In the places where we have not been called your people, now we are called your people. The Bible says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a special people. Those whom you have called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. Father, tonight... It is the greatest privilege anybody can give to us. I know we have needs in our life, but the greatest need had been met. And that is the need of salvation for our soul. The needs of this world would disappear, but the need for the soul of a man. That's why the scripture says, it, it, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans. The Bible says, if it, what shall he profit a man? If he gains the whole world and lose his soul, what shall he give in exchange for his soul? The greatest need has been met. Tonight, Spirit of the living God, we come before you tonight. Every other need is secondary. But it will be met. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things will be added. It's a promise. Tonight, we approach this throne of God. With a sense of understanding and intelligence to make a demand in the spirit. Touch our hearts and speak very expressly to us tonight. Amen. Let your word come with grace. Let it come with accuracy. Let it disseminate understanding of what purpose it is if we came to church. We left the same way. But Lord, tonight we're leaving this place better than we came. Stronger than we came enthusiasm and grace being released upon us as we leave this place tonight. We'll give you praise and honor tonight. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Amen. And amen. amen. Tonight, we're going to be sharing together on something very critical in the heart of God. And I know it's very critical to us. I have observed that sometimes it's a sieve hope is dashed. Sometimes it's a sea of dreams are unattainable. Sometimes we have a feeling and a void of dissatisfaction inside us. Sometimes we lead our lives with partial joy. 
But on the flip, there is pain, which we cannot explain to all. Sometimes there's a delayed fulfillment in our lives. Sometimes we experience an unforeseen occurrence that creates a void in our hearts. And I believe the Lord has given me a word tonight. I'm going to be sharing with us on what I call what to do when everything else failed. What to do when everything has failed. What to do when everything has failed. This is my discovery. Life It's structurally spiral. I'm going to explain what I'm saying. Life is structurally spiral in its nature. Every man seeks the best of life. But because of the nature of life itself, life is spiral in nature. There are two compulsory seasons in every man's life. A season of joy, of excitement, of fulfillment, of glory, of support, of advantage. It's such a memorable time that everyone desires every day of their lives. This is a moment we're not the best of friends because people gather around you at your joyous moment. At a time when things are good and they're in right positions, we attract acquaintances to ourselves. We become the talk of the town. Everyone says everything good about us. There's an applause of how great we are. Because the times are good. Maybe many of us will remember the man of God called Job, who was a rich man who was used for his own generation. The Bible says he was the richest man among the men in the East. Job sacrificed for each of his children every day, bringing and presenting their sacrifices before God. He was rich. The Bible says he was a man who eschewed evil, perfect before God. Reading through the story, you will notice that even the children were in ecstatic experience. They were always partying and enjoying themselves because everything was going fine. However, because life is spiral in nature, nothing that we see that makes us joyous and excited lasts forever. There is a season we don't pray to experience. There is a season that seems impossible to overcome. There is a season in our lives that looks confusing. 
David experienced one of those seasons. At these seasons of life, we are perplexed most of the time. There is discouragement. We are challenged on every side, even to the point of depression, maybe. And you know what we do in most of these seasons? We panic. That's our first reaction. We do what? We panic. We become timid and fearful. Most of us, we throw in the towel, giving up on ourselves. You know, the sad part of it, which we don't want to know, is that we lose our joy at such seasons of life. The scripture says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Immediately we lose the joy, we lose our enthusiasm, we lose the strength to continue. Tonight, I'm not here to beat us down. I'm here to bring the word of the Lord in such seasons of life. What do you do when everything else has failed? Remember this story of a coach who had another coach who was a young, much younger coach with him. And this young man was brought into the team. It's a life story. The young man, because he's new, he's tall, he, he, he has the physique of a player. But was thrown in the midst of things and was not playing well, was not doing well at all. But you see, the older coach knew he had the potential. Even though he doesn't have the skill now, but the potential was in him. Now, the older coach was not looking at him in the now. He was looking at the potential that the young man had in him. And the younger coach looked at how he was messing up the game, called him aside, and was just talking down at him. And the older coach walked up to them while the man was, he said, stop, stop talking. He said, coach him up, don't coach him down. Coach him up, don't coach him down. He's not at his best today, but that's not all you're going to get. There's a skill in him. There's a potential in him. Coach him up, raise him up. I was reading a story recently. Of a man who, a dad who worked out with his son, they were taking a walk by the beach. And while they were taking a walk by the beach, the son suddenly noticed certain objects ahead of them and ran towards the objects. The objects were many on their ways. And as a young boy was looking at the object, guess what they were? They were, they were called starfish. The starfish were spread around the beach. And when the starfish were spread around the beach, the young boy was excited and told the dad, come over, dad, come and take a look at the starfish. They're all over here. And you know what? The fish were already dying because they were outside of their natural habitat. They were on the beach side. And when the man saw the, the fish, told the young man, said, let's quickly throw them back into the sea. And the young man said to the, you know, and the dad, they started throwing the, the fish, but they were in their thousands. And as he was throwing them back, it's as though, as he was straight, the more they were multiplying. The young boy looked at the dad and said, it doesn't really matter if we throw them back. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. There are too many. It doesn't really matter. The father said, it does matter to everyone that we pick. It does do what? It does matter to everyone that we pick. You know what he was saying? He was saying to the son, don't give up picking now. Keep taking them back into the sea. Because encouragement is needed by all. Tonight, I've come to build up a spirit, man. 
have come to build up by the Spirit of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, our inner man, to, to lend our heart to understand when everything has failed, God is still on the throne. Life generally does not fight, you know, we don't experience fairness in life. You know, many of us are intelligent planners. I have about a few things to mention to us about this. Many of us are intelligent, you know, planners. Our lives are always on the schedule as to what we should do at certain periods of our time. We are goal setters. We set five-year goals. We set ten-year goals. We set goals for our lives. But you know, the Bible says something in the book of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Church, I wanted to read with me. It's like a sarcasm. It's like a sarcasm. But I want us to see what the scripture says in the book of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. I know we're familiar with this scripture, but I'm going to say it and I want us to take a look at it. Proverbs 16, verse 9. This is what it says. Want us to listen. It is a man's heart plans his way. <laughs> but the Lord direct his ways. It's like a sarcasm. You just look, what are you doing? I know a man plans his ways. But guess what happens? God directs his ways. When we're good planners, there is nothing absolutely wrong with it. We are expected, we are commanded, we are taught, we are instructed to be good planners and to have our lives on schedule. But the question that I have tonight is this. What do you do when there is a disruption in your plan? When all that you have set your heart to accomplish, all that you have positioned yourself to accomplish, all that you have with potential and the skill to accomplish, don't fall into place like you originally planned. When there is a shift in your plan, when your schedule is disrupted, what do you do? For many of us who are hardliners, we cannot, we talk to people, we smile to them, but our minds cannot forgive us that we're not doing what we're supposed to do on schedule. I know what I'm talking about. Our lives are on schedule. We're so programmed in our lives. We're so intelligently planned and scheming that this is what I want to be done at this so-so time of my life. And it is legitimate. It is righteous. It is lawful. But where do you do when your life falls out of schedule? Side by side with that scripture is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. I'm going to read that. Proverbs 20, 24. This is what it says. A man's steps are of the Lord. How can a man understand his own way? How can he understand his own ways? We seek to. We try to. But how can he understand his own ways? You know why? Because he's finite. And because he's finite, he's limited. And because he's limited, he has no total control over everything that happens in his life. Secondly, some of us are fortunate at making good decisions in our lives. 
Our choices are always right on target. In fact, maybe from my own perception, I like to call many of such people we are from the pros and the cons family. Because many times before decisions are made, we think about the pros and the cons. And we say to ourselves, you know what? Uh, well, I, I don't just do things. We make statements like that. I don't just do things. Uh, I have my options. I weigh my options and I see what shall I do. We're so schemed and we're so, you know, we're so, we're so arranged and structured in our ways that we don't make decisions anyhow. But the question that I have tonight is this. <laughs> what do you do when you're struck with a misjudgment of a situation? How many of us have noticed that as good as we are in making good decisions, there are times in our lives we misjudge a situation. And suddenly we say to ourselves, I am wrong. In fact, we say it deeper, I'm dead wrong. What do you do? Now, there are, there, there are choices and decisions that are easily, you know, corrected. You can easily make amends. But there are certain decisions in our lives. You make it once, you live with it the rest of your life. What do you do? If you have to live with the wrong choice in your life, and it's a lifetime decision, you can never get out of it. What do you do? These are tough questions tonight, and they're rhetoric. I want us to ponder and allow the Holy Spirit to, to probe into our minds tonight. Psalm 16 verse 11. The Bible says, Thou will show me the path of life. In other words, there is a path in life that God can show. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 17 says, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For I am the Lord thy God that teacheth thee to profit and which leadeth thee in the way that thou shouldest go. I'm the God of choice. I'm the God of true decisions. That is who I am. But for us as men, we, 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 we tried everything we could, but sometimes we misjudge the circumstance in our life. What do we do? I read this story many times. Many of us are familiar with Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. Oh, what a man of God this man was. What a bold, what an excellent spirit, you know, he possessed. When Jesus looked at his disciples and said, what do men say that I am? Everybody began to reply. Some said you are, you are Elijah. Some said you are a prophet. Some said you are this and you are that. Jesus looked at all of them and said, Who do you say that I am? Everybody was quiet. I, I could just imagine, my, you know, I was touring this experience in my brain. I could imagine this is where Jesus was standing. And all the disciples are sitting like we're sitting tonight and said, Everybody, can you take a look at me? What do you say that I am? There was dead silence in that place. But Peter came up and said, Thou art the Son of God. Oh, Jesus said, Flesh and blood 
has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What a great choice he made. What a great decision he made. But you know the same man, few hours after, Jesus was talking about the fact that he was going to the cross. I know you goofed. This man goofed. He said what he was not supposed to say. Jesus said immediately, get the behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about what spoke out of him. One moment, Jesus said to Peter, but when they were in the sea, come over. When, when Peter looked at him and said, Master, can I come? He said, come. Peter came. But the next moment, he began to sink. Choices that we make in life. There are times in our lives when we go through such experience, we thought we got it made. But somehow, it was a wrong choice. I'll give us the last one about the life of this man. I like him. He typifies our lives today. Peter, one day after Jesus had left, Jesus had gone to heaven. Peter looked around and looked at himself. Looked at the other disciples. They were jobless. And there was no money in the account. The man who was handling the account had died. Possibly he kept the account somewhere they couldn't find. Everybody was wondering what are we going to eat here, man. Let's do something about what is going on. He was a quick man. He was always knowing what to do. You know we have quick men. Who, who could make decisions so quickly? He said, guys, let's go fishing. And everybody thought it was a great, wonderful decision. Everybody said, okay, let's go out fishing. Nobody said no. They went ahead. They got on the sea and they started fishing. And guess what happened? Right in the middle of the sea, the master came. He didn't talk to James. He didn't talk to Andrew. He didn't talk to Nathaniel. He called one person and said, Peter. The man said, sir. <laughs> Do you love me more than this? Feed my lamb. Do you love me more than this? Feed my lamb. Do you love me more than this? Feed my sheep. Decisions. Number three. I also observed. This is a close observation. That we believe in the expression of God's goodness, particularly as believers, that God is a good God. God is merciful. You know what we do? We even go outside when we, when we witness to souls, those that have not known Jesus before, we tell them, if you come to give your life to Christ, God is a good God. But you see, you get back home and you're asking yourself a question, did I say the correct thing to them? God is a good God. God. We call scriptures, James chapter 1, Lord, the Bible tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of light, in whom there is no variableness, neither the shadow of turning. We went further to say to them, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them from them all. The Lord will give grace and glory. He will not withhold anything good from them that work uprightly. Our reference does not match our experience. Sometimes. They don't match. And we're wondering, oh God. I know you're a good God. But what I am experiencing doesn't show 
to the word that you're really good to me. Number four. How many of us know that some of us are great grievers tonight? We quote and they quote to us Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Therefore, the Lord loves the cheerful giver. He that giveth sparingly shall receive sparingly. He that giveth bountifully shall receive bountifully. Therefore, give. And we give. And we give. And we give. There is an expectation that something was going to come after the giving. But alas, we're still in the same position. Everything promised. They told us if you can make a contribution of a thousand dollars in the next six months, God is going to bring a turnaround to your life. Ten months, twelve months, twenty months had passed. Nothing seemed to be working. They told us to pay our tithes. The God loves tithes, give us. And after we did, it's as if the more we gave tight, the tighter things were becoming. What do you do when everything you know is right doesn't seem to work? Number five. What do we do when the most trusted friendship relationship fails us? I want to say to you tonight, we're not going to be the first to experience the failure of friendship in our lives. What do you do when the most reliable person in your life disappoints you? What do you do when everything you hope for in a friend, in a man, in a relationship does not seem to work out? What do you do when your dependence on the closest part to you, somebody you have entrusted with issues of your life, you have talked to them about the things that bothers you, they know you to their very bedroom. What do you do when such men fail you? What do you do when our trusted fellows disappoint us? Tell us a story from the life of David. There is a man called Aitofer who happened to be a counselor to David. At the time David needed help most, that was the time that Aitofer joined a league with David's supposed enemy, who was his own son. The time that David needed help mostly, Aitofer was nowhere to be found. He gave the wrong counsel. What do we do when the closest friendship in our life fails? How many of us know that Jesus was having very close to Judas, who happened to be the finance secretary or the treasurer of the fellowship? Because I'm very sure every leader is close to whoever holds the money. Every time needs arise, you must consult with them. But it was the same very person who betrayed Jesus. What do you do when your closest friendship fails you? Number six. What do you do when the most trusted religious system, maybe I say a church system, fails? What do we do when we become a victim of a loyalty to a system? What do you do when the organized system, spiritual system, becomes a trap and a clog in the wheel of our progress? It's happening, church. There are many wounded believers who are walking into the services every day, not knowing what to do because they have been betrayed by an organized system. What do you do when an organized system, religious, spiritual system, disappoints you? What do we do when the promise of a life that we're told does not come at the time we, we expected it? What do we do? 
Lastly tonight, number seven. What do you do when you are caught in the web of an habitual sin? And you're struggling and you are doing everything you know how to do. What do you do? Every time you did something, it failed. It did not work. What do you do? When you're caught in the web of a weakness in your system, a weakness in your life, a weakness in your body, a weakness that you cannot explain to the next person to you, a secret that you have kept for years, and nothing seems working. What makes you look as if you're an hypocrite? Because you appear to be serious and religious and wonderful to people outside, but guess what? In your secret place, you are really a failure. What do you do? When we're caught in the web for the beat your problem, we're struggling every day, Lord. When will you do it? A few things to let us know tonight. What did David do from that story we read? David, a man of God, caught of God, strong, conquered nations, a man of war, who had fought for Israel, who had been on the side of God. Don't forget us at the time this scripture was written, David had already been anointed king several years before. He was anointed king. His dream was as if it was dashed. His hope was like dashed. Everything that David did never worked right. This time he's got men around him that he has trained. And let me say this to you, there are times that God has blamed men and women around you. You've invested your life into them. David invested himself into this man. The Bible calls that they were depressed, despondent people. But David made a hammy out of them. They were discouraged men. David made a man out of men out of many of them. They became strong warriors as a result of David's input in the life of these people. One day David was coming back with a huge relief in his heart. Go back to where the family is two wives. The Hammy's wives and their children were and they are spoiled. And found the place burnt. Hope dashed. The Bible tells us in the scripture that we read. That everyone began to weep including David. They wept until they had no more power to weep. I don't know how many of us are in that situation tonight. You've been weeping and crying over a circumstance. And you have no more power to cry. No one had power to cry anymore. And you know. In leadership, we tell people, you have to show that you are strong. I think the key part of leadership we've seen in David is this. When the people you lead are emotional, be emotional with them. David sat on the floor with them, cried with them. They saw the weakness in this man. They knew David. They knew how strong he was. But the time when they needed emotional support, David was sitting down right there, crying and sobbing with the people. David cried with them. And you know what? It's amazing to me that the people that you have invested into, the most trusted friendship, can one moment of your life turn around against you. These men have been with David for years. They fought battles with him. They had, they had conquered nations with him. But you know what happened? At the time when the going became tough, the going got tough, the Bible says they connived, they wanted to stone David. Oh, what a life. How many leaders have fed disappointed because the people they led wanted to stone them? What we need to do tonight is what David did. David was at the most desperate circumstance of his life. There was no option. There was nothing else he could do. In his imagination, in his power as a warrior, 
There was nothing else David could do. But there was something that David did. That's one of the things we can do tonight. That's what I believe when every other thing that's failed in life, you don't know what to do, you can do this. Number one, we can trust God. We can trust God and his word. We can understand that everything in this world has been sustained by the word of his power. The Bible said the grass wither, the flower feather, but the word of the Lord abides forever. The Bible said forever, oh God, your word is settled in heaven. The scripture declares wherever the word of the king is, there is power. Jesus said, my word that I speak to you, their spirit and their life. The scripture says in John chapter 8, the word of the Lord cannot be broken. <laughs> you know what David did? The Bible said David called a prophet, a priest, and inquired of the Lord. What is in the heart of God for this circumstance? What is the word of God? David, when he knew nothing else to do, when he could not depend on his men anymore, could depend on the spoken word of God. There is something that will fail in life if we can put our trust in his word, in his promises, in his counsel. That is the safest heaven for any one of us. When everything else has failed in life, folks, let's begin to consult his word. What is the direction of God for my life? I can trust him again. There was no other person around David that could encourage him but God's word. The Bible says, after that, David encouraged himself in the Lord. There is no height that we cannot reach. There is no mountain that we cannot climb. There is no troop that we cannot defeat. When the courage of God is infused in us through the revelation of the real word of God that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Out of the mouth of God. Let me tell us a story in a moment of a young lady. Her name was Carrie. We went to, you know, to Olympics in 1996 with the United States. So they were participating. United States was supposed to have a goal in gymnastics. This lady was the best in the group. Every hope was inched on her that through her they would be able to clinch the gold. Guess what happened? Her first jump, she, spr she, she sprained her ankle. The hope of the entire nation to get a gold was becoming dim. The lady looked at herself. She cried and sobbed. And served. Now, gradually, other nations were taken over from them. And the coach walked up to her and said, You will do it. There was one more jump. If she could do it right, that was it. She walked up to her and said, I know you have a sprained ankle, but you do not have a sprained brain. There is a spirit in you. We started this training together, you will make it through. I don't care what happens here today. If we have to get you out of this place and draw you out of this place, you will jump. She walked up to her and she said, get yourself ready. One more jump, you will do it. According to the lady, when she was interviewed, as she looked at the coach, courage came into her. As she looked at the coach, she saw that it's possible to do it. Her leg was impinged. They wrapped the leg. 
And she looked at the height and she went for it. She went for it and she jumped through it and she collapsed right there. And the gold was won. Why? She got the asked her. She said, each time I looked at my coach, I knew it could be done. My leg told me a different story. But the face of my coach told me a different story. A higher story that it is possible to win it. I'm here to tell us tonight, I look at the face of our coach. Him that sits on the right hand of God. He says tonight that it is possible. It's possible. The Bible says, I ever leave to make intercession for us. He's making intercession for you and me. It is possible. We can do it. Trust in his word. Trust in his word. Trust in his word. Trust in his word. Faith in him. There was a story in 1 Kings chapter 20. Ben-Hadad, the king of Assyria, engaged Israel in battle. Heab was the king over the land. The Bible tells us there were 32 kings alongside with Ben-Hadad. They were to fight Israel. And when they sent a message to Ahab, Ahab said, Ah, I will leave another day to fight. Whatever you want, king, send your people. Let them come into the palace. Take whatever they want, including my wives. Whatever they want to take, let them take. Some of the king went to the elders of Israel after his communication, you know, with the servants of ben and said, this is what I experienced today. The elders of Israel said, now, abomination. Let it not be said that people came and, you know, took away everything that we have in this kingdom. No. Send a message back to ben Haddad that it will not be done. But he knew the implication. They were going to be routed because the army that was against them, Israel could not match them. But you know what? God sent a prophet to Ahab and said, listen, I will give you victory. I will. All we need is a word from heaven. I will give you victory. I will give you victory regardless of what Ben-Hadad said. Ben-Hadad went back and they started to drink and they were rejoicing because they knew the battle was already won. With the number of soldiers, we will win the battle. But God gave victory to Ahab that day. What can God not do when we learn to listen to what he has said and trust him? And trust him. And trust his word. Trust his cancer. Trust what he has said. Let me quickly run through this because of time. Number two. What do you do when every other thing has failed? What do we do? I want us to remember the story of Zechariah tonight. Sorry, Ezekiah tonight. Do we remember Senakero? They sent a letter to Ezekiah. They said to Ezekiah, listen, I'm coming over there and I'm taking over your kingdom from you. Ezekiah looked at himself and knew he had nothing to do with it. He had no power. That's why I love this scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 14. I want us to read the prayer of, sorry, this is the prayer of Asa. Sons, this is one of the ways that Israelite kings pray. 1 Kings chapter 14. I'm going to read that prayer to us. And I think it's a prayer that every believer should pray. Let me read that for us. First Kings, sorry, First Chronicles. I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, not First. Second Chronicles, chapter fourteen, verse eleven. Are we there? The Bible says, Second Chronicles, chapter fourteen, verse eleven. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Whether with many or with those who have no power 
It is nothing for you to have. God does not need the number of army to fight in a battle. God does not need the host to win in a war. God speaks battles are won. Victory is sure when God is behind those whom he has called with his name and by his name. Two things happened to Ezekiel in his life and I want us to take a look at it. Number one, he got a letter of threat to destroy his kingdom. And you know what he did? What did he do? He went straight to where most of us usually lose courage. He went before the Lord, laid a letter prostrated before God and said, Oh God, this threat is not to me, but to you. For they have come to threaten the hammer of the Lord. And when they did, God won the greatest victory in the history of Israel for Hezekiah. He prayed. He prayed. He called upon God. He presented his request before God. Let me tell us a story in the New Testament, the book of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12. And I'm going to read this from another version of the Bible I'd like us to read together with me. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12. I want us to read verse, verse 5 together with me. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12. This is what the scripture says about the disciples of Jesus when they were arrested. Don't forget, James was first of all arrested and executed. Now, they have proceeded to arrest Peter. When he was arrested, what would church do? Don't forget that the church had no sword. They had no army. They could not fight in any battle. They were helpless. Number one, they did not have the weapons of war. Number two, they were not supported by many. They were few in their numbers. What would they do? They did what we should do today. The Bible tells us in verse in verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but a constant prayer, ever say constant prayer, was offered to God for him by the church. Oh God, a constant prayer was offered to God. I'm going to read it from uh, one of my translations, 26 translations. This is what it says. Acts of the Apostle chapter 12. It says in verse 5, I'm going to read a couple of versions here. It says, but meanwhile, the prayers of the church were being earnestly offered to God on his behalf. Another version, the Weymouth version says, but long and fervent prayer was offered. Uh, another one, I think this is Weymouth, it says, but earnest prayer to God for him was persistently made by the church. This is the one that I love mostly. That's the one I'm going to read for us. Knox Bible. This is what it says. But there was a continual stream of prayer going up to God from the church on his behalf. What did he say? Continual streams of prayer. There are prayers, there are streams of prayer. Tonight, church, if there is something we cannot do about said situation, let's do what? Let's offer continual streams of prayer. What does it mean? An unbreakable fellowship of prayer. Let me say this to you tonight. As a result of these continual streams of prayer, that day Peter was released, the church was still praying. They were still calling upon God. There was a stream of prayer. They would not stop praying. They would not stop praying. They kept praying. You know what happened? Why they were still praying? Peter had been released. 
So much so that when Peter came to the door, the church was so engrossed in prayer, they could not even believe Peter was on the door. They were still praying. May God baptize each of us today with a spirit of supplication and prayer. That we will pray ceaselessly. That we will pray, that we will pray and pray until our joy is full. Peter was released. And you know what has happened that day? The same day, Herod was killed. The territorial spirit that had threatened the church, the ringleader of evil, died that day. Maggot came out of his body. He made a strategic mistake. He opened up his mouth, and the people said, What who else can say the boy God? They call him God, and the God of God sent an angel and struck him because the church prayed. Tonight, if we can pray, anything can happen. Church, anything can happen. If the church can call upon God, anything can happen. Number three. I saw a story in 2 Kings chapter 7. Wonderful story. There were lepers, four lepers, the Bible says. The Bible says, as at that time there was famine in the land. And they were living close to the gate of the city. Because they shouldn't be in the city in the first place. The Bible says, as they look at themselves, they said, if we remain here. We would die. <laughs> this is the way they said it. And I love to say it the way they said it. They said, why sit here until we die? Why giving up on ourselves until we die? Number one, we're lepers. And we want to remain here. If we go to the main city, we will die of famine. If we go to, <laughs> we will die. You know what? We'll get out of here. Instead of sitting down here to die, may I say this something to us tonight? Don't sit in your position of discouragement. Get out of it. Walk out of it. You never know the miracle that is waiting for you outside. They never knew that the, the, the battle had already been won. There was spoil waiting for them. The lepers walk out of the leper colony. They were looking around and they noticed Hamish had been killed. They noticed the spoil. And don't forget the man of God had already given a word in verse 1. That by this time tomorrow, a valley of wheat will be sold for two shekels of silver. The man of God had spoken. And they came out. I want to say to us tonight, don't allow the circumstances of life to keep you in a position. Get out! Step out in faith. When we step out in faith, only God knows what heaven can do for us. Only God knows what heavens can do. Step out in faith. I was reading this story. I've said this over and over again, but it, it, it occurred to me in a different way today. Do you remember the one with the issue of, the, of blood? The Bible says, you know, this is what I really want us to say. see there. She had been to many physicians to, with no help. The Bible says, she said to herself, the master is passing. You know, I wrote down in my note, she used the ounce of gas that she had left. An ounce of faith she had left. Some of us are sitting tonight and we're saying, I just have little faith left. I've tried everything I know how to try. Yes, but you got an ounce of faith left. Use that gas. You never know the potential that you have in the ounce of faith that is left. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, the Bible speaks of Elisha, the man of God. A man of God, one of the prophets had died. And one of his wives came to, the man, to Elisha and said, Well, your servant has died. And now I have two children. And the debtors have come. They want to take these children away. You know what Elijah said? What do you have in your house? I got... A ball, you know, a little, a little, a little high. He said, go back into borrow bodies. You never know what is the potential in the little one that we have. Praise God forevermore. You never know. 
Number four. Praise. Number one, trust God. Number two, prayer. Number three, step out in faith. Number four, praising him. When we praise God, we move the hand of God. When we praise him, we release the glory of God. When we praise him, things happen in the realm of the spirit. We declare war in the spirit when we praise him. No battle can fight, no battle can we fight in the spirit like the battles of praise. When we praise God, we strategically release the forces of life on our behalf. And number five, or number six, be still. It's so difficult when everything else has failed to be still. In our human natural desire, we want to do something. But God said, be still. Are we just going to stand doing nothing? No. He said, be still. Be still. Step back. See the salvation of God. That's what God taught unto Moses. Today, you will see the salvation of God. Be still. And see the salvation of God. Be still. Be quiet in your spirit. The Bible says, in quietness and confidence is your strength. Be still. The last I'm going to set tonight where we're going to pray. Fight. Ever say fight. When there is nothing else left, when David inquired and the Lord said, go ahead, you will conquer, you will overtake them, and you will recover. What did David do? David fought. Tonight as we're about to pray, how do we fight? We fight the fight of faith. We fight standing in righteousness. We fight standing in obedience with God. We fight believing that the God that we serve will give us and recover all for us. Let's stand up tonight to, to pray together. What do you do when every other thing has failed? I know the Lord has, has spoken to each of us tonight. I want us to pray tonight and say, Lord, this is me. Just come before your presence tonight, oh God. Lord, I just release myself to you tonight. Lord Jesus, I want us to be open to the Lord tonight and say, Lord, I want to thank you for another privilege. For me to remember that there is hope for me. For me to remember that all that you are still in charge over my life. For me to remember that all is not lost yet. <laughs> Paul said, we are hard pressed on every side, but yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but yet not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We're not struck out yet. We're, being going, we're going through difficult times, but God is still a God of hope. All that Paul is saying that we're out pressed on every side, but there is still hope for us. God is still in charge over our lives. God hasn't given up over you yet. God's plan for your life is still in place. God's purpose for our life is still in place. God will not abandon you. We're at Christ. But God is still in charge of our lives. We give you praise tonight. We exalt your name and we worship you. We lift you high tonight because you're a faithful God. Let's begin to pray in the spirit tonight. We're right about the continuous streams of prayer. If we're at a position when things are not working well, let's pray tonight. I want us to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I know that there is still hope for me. 
Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know he lives. I know he lives. I want us to begin to speak to the Lord tonight. I say, Lord, I commend myself to you tonight, oh God. I look up to you, Lord, by your spirit. Do something in my life tonight. Do something in my life tonight, oh God. Do something in my life tonight, oh God. Let it be a miracle. I will not give up on myself. I will not give up on my circumstance. Lord, I know that you are still Lord and you reign and you have power over all circumstance. You can do it. I refuse to give up. I refuse to throw in the tower. I will not panic over this circumstance. You are still in charge. My trust is in you. I have faith in you. Yes, Lord. Miracle is still happening. I'm a candidate for your miracle, Father. I'm a candidate for your visitation. Miracles are still happening. You can do it through me. You can do it in me. You can work it out for me. If it is sickness, let's speak to the Lord. Lord, let the power of this sickness be broken of my life. Unattend dreams, Lord. You are the giver of good dreams. You will bring them to pass. I will not be discouraged. What do we do when everything has failed? All our imagination and our planning have failed. Lord, we look up to you tonight. We call upon you. The God of miracle. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. I want to call on Shagun.